Let's turn in our Bibles. Would you join me uh, in John chapter 19? John chapter 19. And uh, just a few verses here as we're looking at just the, the scene and the passion of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, uh, the, the death scene on the cross and all that happens there. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. That's where we are. Let's hear God's word as it is read. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine in a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is God's word. I invite you to join me in a prayer of preparation. Would you do that? Father in heaven, we, we thank you for your word. We know we need it. Your word tells us it is what we live by. Bread alone will not satisfy us. But every word that comes from your mouth, that that is what we need. And so, Lord, you have graciously given it to us. You've made it freely available to us. And we have these books, these Bibles with your word. So, Lord, I pray, give us an appetite for the things that you say. Give us hearts and minds that are ready to hear what you have to say to us. To take in these truths that by your spirit, Father, you would transform us and continue to make us into the very image of your son. That's your will for us. Lord, it is no uh, surprise that the men who are called to proclaim this are weak and merely men. And so, Lord, we need something that goes beyond the words of a mere man right now. We need your spirit to take the truth and plant it deep within. So we pray, do that. We pray, speak. Your servants are listening. We pray for the glory of Jesus. Amen. There is something that is sad and even tragic about the word finished, finished. Um, you know, when you think of the, the time that you spent with, with family on a vacation, extended family, you haven't seen them in a year, you know, the time is finished and you have to leave. There's some sadness in the goodbyes. Maybe more profoundly, the, you're at the bedside of a loved one who has been uh, ill for some time. And when their life is finished, there's a, a sadness in that. We get that. There's something sad about the word finished. It's over. It's done. That's a, a sense of the word that, that we uh, apply to it. There's also something more hopeful and pleasant about the word as well, depending how we use it. Um, if we were told they finished the vaccine for COVID, we would be joyful. 
They've completed it, right? Or, you know, kids in a long journey in the car. The trip is finished. Thank you, we've arrived. Or uh, if you've been working on a woodworking project, and I, I love seeing Aaron's updates on Facebook and all of the stuff that he puts in his projects, but like this thing, when it was finished, I was, I was so grateful, we've got this. And that's, that's good. Or if you finished the race or finished the great book you were reading, there's, there's something about a sense of accomplishment in that, the idea of completeness, and we get that, the different ways the word is used. Now, Jesus, of course, in our text here says, it is finished. But what did he mean? Yes, it was the end of his life, and yes, there was suffering, but, but Jesus saying it is finished was not primarily a lament in the passing of his own life. What he was doing was declaring completeness. Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished. So what is it that was finished? What is it that Jesus was speaking about that he had completed? Well, I'm gonna give our focus to, to on three things this morning. Three, and there's, there's more that, that could be found, but certainly I wanna focus on three things here. Uh, that, that is wrapped up in the, in the idea of something being finished. Now, now I'll remind you that, that uh, from the beginning of this gospel, John's objective has been to show us Jesus, to show us that he is indeed the Christ, to show us that he is the, the Son of God, and that in showing him to us, the reader, the listener, we would come to believe in his name and that, that we would have life as a result of that belief. So as we think about Jesus in these final moments of his mortal existence, it's all wrapped up in what John wants us to know and more importantly, what the Holy Spirit wants us to know about why we should trust him as the Christ. So three things to give our focus to this morning. What is completed when he said it is finished? First of all, Jesus completed his mission on earth, his bodily mission, if you will. Secondly, he finished or completed the fulfilling of the scriptures that deal with his suffering primarily and his earthly ministry. So his mission on earth, but the very scriptures that spoke of him in advance He's completed that. And thirdly, he's completed propitiation for sin. Now, I'll get to defining that in a bit for those of you who don't know what that word means, but it's a Bible word, so it's an important word, so we're gonna deal with it. Propitiation for sin. Those are the three things I'm gonna give focus to. Well, first, Jesus completed his mission on earth. Have you ever had a day when at the end of it you said to yourself, I did everything. Everything I planned to do today, and I did it perfectly. Have you ever had one of those days? Well, maybe some of the more self-disciplined among us have had that experience, maybe that feeling once or twice in a lifetime. <laughs> I, I, maybe, maybe you're far more successful, but I, I can't think of a single day when I've said, it just went perfectly. Everything got done exactly as I wanted to. But imagine, imagine thinking about not just 
one or two occasions, but every single day, every single moment in your lifetime, having that, that sense that every single day you fulfilled exactly the purpose for which you were born into this world, perfectly accomplishing your mission. That's Jesus. And when he was there on the cross saying, it is finished, he said, I've done everything and I've done it perfectly. Verse 30, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, maybe like me, when, when you've read this in the past, you've, you've thought, oh no, oh no, that didn't end well. And maybe this is how the world views the story about Jesus, you know. He tried to do some good things. He, he tried to help people, lift up the oppressed, heal the, the sick, and taught some important truth. But, oh, people didn't understand, and they... They rejected him. He should have been crowned king, but, and they should have gave him a royal robe, but no, they, they crucified him. Oh, it's a sad day. It's finished. Done. No, Jesus didn't have his life taken from him. It's not that way at all. No, in fact, even this moment, even this, this place on the cross is exactly where he determined to be. And at the moment he said, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up his spirit, he decided that's exactly what I need to do. John 10, Jesus said, John 10, 17, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. John 10, 17 and 18. So you see, Jesus chose to give up his spirit. It wasn't taken from him. Jesus was in charge of, of him even being on the cross. Jesus was in charge of all the things that happened to him to cause his body physically to shut down. Jesus was in charge of every breath, every beat of his heart, every moment, everything that happened. Jesus ruled over it and he decided the moment he was done. He completed his mission on earth. He had determined that nothing more needed to be done in his body. So why is it that Jesus, in fact, did take on this human body? Why did he do that? Well, he did it to reveal his glory. This is what John, the gospel writer, explained to us in the very beginning of the gospel. Jesus revealed glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what he came to do, to reveal himself as the only Son of the Father, the one who alone is full of grace and truth. And because he took on that body, all who truly believe in him will receive from him this fullness, grace upon grace. That's what those who look to him in faith get, grace upon grace. This is Jesus' mission, to deliver this grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is a, it's a gift, right? It's God giving of himself over and over and over again. So this grace had an expression in the ways in which Jesus operated in the world. Jesus' mission was to do the works of the Father. And in doing the works of the Father, what he did was he showed his unity with the Father. I'll remind you that it says in John chapter 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. So in Jesus living out his life, in the things that he was doing and saying, it's exactly the thing that God the Father was doing. The works of Jesus were the works of the Father, one and the same. What God intended, Jesus did. What Jesus intended was always what God had wanted. The doing was a revelation of the very working of God in human form in the world. So what ways has God revealed himself in the works that God has done in the past? So think about it. The way that God had showed mercy to his people. Think of the the Israelites as they were bound up in slavery in Egypt. God rescued them. He intervened in their lives. What else did God do? He, He showed them his goodness by giving them a code, a law. He said, He said to the Israelites, you're going to be my people. You are my people. I'm your God. And then he gave them a law. He said, this is what I'm like. Here are 10 commandments that that encapsulate what I'm like and what you ought to do in regards to you being my people. You see, this was a gracious thing that God did, was it not? He didn't say, here's my law, and if you can keep it, you'll be my people. No, he said, you're my people. I'm like it's grace. And then he said, by the way, as my people, here's what I'm like and here's what you should be like. God provided for his people. And if you'll recall the story of the Israelites in the wilderness after they crossed the Red Sea, they were hungry and God brought manna, bread from heaven, and he fed the people. And in like manner, the way in which Jesus operated in the world, he showed mercy to people. He showed the goodness of God by by explaining the law of God. And you could just look at the the Sermon on the Mount in, in the ways in which he unpacked the law. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, Everyone who just looks at a woman with lust in his heart, that's, that's adultery. Explaining the law of God, helping them to understand it's a matter of the heart, not just external actions. And Jesus, in the same ways that God provided manna in the wilderness, Jesus in John chapter six said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you, you have no part of me. Effectively saying, I am the food you need. The works of Jesus are the works of God. Jesus' mission further as an expression of God's grace was to show his authority over all things, thus demonstrating his power to give life and to, to restore vitality to life that had been, had it somewhat taken away. For example, Jesus Well, this is what Jesus said. As the Father raises the dead to life, so does the Son. God owns life? I do too. Jesus healed that son of an official. This is uh, John chapter four, verse 50. That that official son was near death and Jesus healed, healed that child. He gave a lame man the ability to walk, John chapter five. 
He gave the means of sustaining life, and I've already mentioned this, but in the wilderness when he said, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, just before that, he took a a, a small lunch and he expanded it to feed a multitude. He gave sight to the blind, John chapter 9, and then he took a man who should have been a rotting stench after four days in a tomb, and he called him out alive. The works that the Father did, Jesus did, thus showing the mystery between him and the Father. Another aspect of his grace, the mission that Jesus had to, to show, to reveal the grace upon grace, ultimately to draw people to himself by his own death. And there he is in this scene that we looked at in the scriptures. In this scene, he is doing what he said he would do back in John chapter 12 when Jesus said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus knew that he would be lifted up on a Roman cross. And in so doing, this very act of being lifted up on that cross, he would draw all people to himself. And there Jesus is, strung out on that cross saying, mission accomplished. It is finished. It is complete. And listen, because Jesus' mission was completed. He then passed that mission to his disciples. And then he passes it us to us by extension. He told his disciples when he met with them in Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. But what did he say? And we'll deal with this in the next chapter. He told his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on him and said, to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm sending you, but not only that, I'm giving you the means by which you will fulfill this. He gave them the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the good news. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is still drawing people to himself. While his earthly mission is done, that mission has transferred them to the responsibility of his people today, and that's us. Every time the story of Jesus' death is told. And when the reason for Jesus' death is explained, that he did it to take away sin, that's good news. That's the gospel. And Jesus said, if I am lifted up, if I'm exalted, if if this story about me is told, and that was a play on words, I believe, when this story about me is told, I will draw people to myself. So listen, have confidence in this message that we have been told that has saved us. Have confidence that it will save others. Because togetherness here, that's what we're doing here today. Our togetherness here, our, our being part of a church family is about this good news message of the gospel. Every time we declare it, something divine is happening, maybe imperceptible to us, but something is happening. Jesus is strengthening the disciples that he already has. And I know this. I know this to be true in my own life. You can ask me the gospel story, and I can tell you. I'm I'm pretty comfortable telling you what it is. 
But just because I know it doesn't mean I don't need to hear it. In fact, I need to hear it every single day. I need to hear it. I need to be reminded of it every single moment because in as much as I know it in my head, the more I'm told it, the more it grips my heart. And I know it's true for you too. This is, this is why if you're a believer in Jesus, every time you hear about Jesus, every time we get to sing about Jesus and what he accomplished at the cross, it doesn't get old. Oh, if it gets old to you, if it gets boring to you, I, I want to challenge you. Check your heart. There's a beauty in this story that strengthens us. Every time we look at it, every time we ruminate on it, it builds us up. Jesus' mission on earth is done, and he transfers that mission to us to remind each other of his gospel. Second, what else is completed? What else is finished? Well, the fulfilling of Scripture. And specifically in regards to uh, his suffering. Now, I think about this all the time, but let me ask you, how, how sure is your word? How reliable is my word? I often think about this, how, how different it is, the, the, the things that we say and promise and the things that God says and promises. You know, I can say with fair certainty that I'm going to do something. I, I, I could say, like, right after church, I could say, Kathy, I'll meet you at home at, you know, 1.30, Best intentions. But there are any number of things that can thwart that plan, things that I don't have any control about. I could get out to the car and it won't start. Or somebody might bump into my, you know, my car and then I'm going to sit there for hours waiting for insurance information and whatever. Or I could just you know, be so tired and I sit in my car and fall asleep. That's not likely to happen. But any number of things could happen to thwart that plan. My intentions are to do things are just simply that, best intentions. But where God is concerned, where his word is declared, there's never any, any difference between the declaration of it and the doing of it. The prophetic word of scripture that we have, our Bibles, that's anchored in no less than the eternally good, all-wise, all-powerful character of God. And Jesus has that. So when he says, it is finished. What is he speaking of? This part I'm, I'm dealing with here is the, the fulfilling of scripture regarding his own humanity. And in particular, here in this scene, his vicarious suffering. Jesus fulfilling scripture, get this, reveals a greater truth. When Jesus himself fulfills the scriptures about himself, it reveals a greater truth that we need to take to heart. That he is truly as John described him in the beginning of this gospel, truly the word flesh could fulfill flesh. Only the word of God who became flesh could fulfill the word of God that had been spoken by God through the prophets. And John here wants us to have an example, I believe. Jesus said, this is right at the beginning of what we read. Jesus said, brackets and parentheses, to fulfill scripture, I thirst. Jesus said that to fulfill scripture. 
How does that fulfill scripture? Well, we're told a jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine and a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Now, there's a lot of potential symbolism in the hyssop. I'm not going to deal with that this morning. I just simply want us to see what's going on here. Why was this important? What is, what is in view here? Well, it's by the inspiration, of course, of the Holy Spirit that, that John, our gospel writer, wants us to make the connection as he tells the story. To fulfill scripture. Jesus said, I thirst in order to fulfill scripture. What is he fulfilling? Well, the scripture he has in view here is Psalm 69. And if you look at Psalm 69, it's a, it's a psalm according to David of David. But it's, it's acknowledged as a messianic psalm, a psalm that, that gives a picture of the suffering of the Messiah, the Christ. And Jesus fulfills this. Verse four, more in number. This is Psalm 69, verse four. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Did people hate Jesus without cause? Yes, they did. Verse seven, just two, two examples. Verse seven, for your sake, I have borne reproach. Now John stated when he described Jesus' arrest, Jesus knew all that would happen to him. This is reiterated here. After this knowing Jesus, after this Jesus knowing that all was now finished, it's the same idea. Jesus knows what's going on here. Jesus knew all that would happen to him. So here he is on the cross in the throes of death in physical and spiritual agony. He says, in order to fulfill scripture, I thirst. In order to get one of the soldiers to offer him that cheap wine that's sitting there. As Psalm 69, 21 says, they gave me poison for food and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Here in this moment, Jesus is fulfilling the scripture and what it does as even he is hanging on the cross, even in his, that that he is a human body, Jesus authenticates that, that he is indeed the word of God who became flesh. I think I mentioned this last week. There are probably over 300 predictions about the Messiah that were fulfilled in Jesus. And I want to encourage you, look them up. Look them up. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing the, the level of detail about the life of the Messiah that the prophets unfold long before Jesus shows up on the scene. And who could end their own life? I mean, who among us could read a story and say, you know, I'm going to decide to pattern my life after everything there. I mean, you might be able to do one or two things, but 300 or more. One of the most often quoted and most vivid pictures of, of the Messiah hundreds of years before he was born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 53, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Listen, there are an infinite number of reasons to trust the scripture 
and to trust that Jesus fulfills it. That's some serious rain. (laughs) Think about that. An infinite number of reasons that we can trust what the scripture says and that Jesus fulfills it. And when the Apostle Paul exhorted Timothy, that young preacher, as he trained him and, 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 and gave him opportunities for ministry and then set him out, he told him, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.2, he said, preach the word. Uh, every one of us who is a, a pastor takes this to heart because it's, it's pastoral training, it's pastoral exhortation. I, I keep it in the front of my Bible. You know, I'm going to read it in the Amplified Version just because well, it's a paraphrase, but, but listen. Paul says to Timothy, herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by, be at hand, be ready, whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, whether it is welcome or unwelcome. You, as a preacher of the word, are to show people in what way their lives are wrong and convince them, rebuking and correcting, warning and urging and encouraging being unflagging and inexhaustible in patience and teaching. That's the call that Paul made to Timothy and every one of us who have been called to preach the word, take that to heart. But when Paul said that to Timothy, when he said preach the word effectively, what he was saying is preach Christ. There is no preaching the word unless there is preaching Christ because Jesus is the one ultimately to whom scripture points. And even though his name is not mentioned in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy, in fact, his name is not even mentioned right through Malachi. It's about him. And it's for us. The writer of Hebrews says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And just so that we're we're not unclear as to who Jesus is, he, referring to Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus says, it is finished. All of the prophetic word about him in terms of his human suffering, was complete. And so what do we do as a result of that? We can delight. We have, even as I prayed, we have such easy access to this. I'm sure many of us have probably several copies of the Bible in our houses, collecting dust in various places. I have a stack of Bibles at home that I've received from various conferences, just waiting for an opportunity to give them away. You can't give them away. I, have you ever had an old Bible and thought, what am I going to do with that? Like it's all ratty and falling apart. Am I even allowed to throw that away? <laughs> no, we, we, we feel it's, it's preciousness, right? But do we actually treat it with the preciousness that it, we think it has? Not for nostalgic reasons, but because it, it is the very word of God. Do we keep it close at hand? Do we refer to it often? 
Let me encourage you when you're reading your Bible, especially in the New Testament, if you see a little tiny number there, look at that footnote. It might give some explanation about the translation, but sometimes the little letters, A, B, C, they'll point back to some other passage of Scripture. Look those up. And you'll gain the delight of seeing the richness and the beauty of, of the word of God and how it is all fulfilled in Jesus. And when you read your Old Testament, look, look for Jesus. Well, thirdly, going along here. Thirdly, the thing that was completed, here's the big word, propitiation for sin. I'll define it in a moment. But uh, recently in our neighborhood, we had, uh, we had some people break into cars at night um, now, I knew this one morning because as I walked out of the house, my neighbors were talking and they're kind of looking at me, so they, they tried to get my attention. They wanted to, to draw me into the conversation because apparently they, they, the people who had tried to break into some other cars had actually attempted to get into my car. No success, the car was locked. But they knew that because they had cameras. So I got a camera too. Now I can have the recording on my phone and if someone tries to break in again, I'll see them. Mostly I can watch the raccoons, those criminal raccoons as they try to break into my trash bin. But I have the camera. Why? Why? Well, in the event that something happens, I can give the video to the police. Well, why do I care to do that? Well, because there's a violation, right? There's an injustice that we don't want to let continue. That's the concern of the neighbors. So whether it's a theft or anything else, uh, something that is a, a, a transgression of the law, a theft, a murder what have you, it matters that it's dealt with. We don't just say, oh, well. So I got the camera. So I'm going to say, oh, well, to somebody breaking in. Now, hypothetically, I'd never need a security camera. We'd never need the police and the court system and prisons if there was no crime. But, but that's not how the world is, right? Now, when we think about what God is like, what is God like? Of course, we, we say he's merciful, he's loving. He is all wise, all powerful. He is ever present, but he is also wrathful. What wrath is, is God's righteous response to injustice. Our injustice, our sin. And, and hypothetically, we would never know the wrath of God if it was not for our sin. But again, that's not how we are. It's not how we are. And we are powerless to do anything about it. So what does it have to do with propitiation? You see, when John the Baptist, at the beginning of this gospel, announced Jesus, he announced him this way. John 1, 29 says, the next day he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the question is this, how does he take away the sin of the world? And what Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He said, the propitiation is complete. Now, I, I know I'm putting those words there, but that's what's in view. So what is propitiation? So I'll give you a definition. Here's it's from Easton's Bible Dictionary. A little technical. Propitiation is that by which God is rendered propitious. That is, by which it becomes consistent with his character, 
and government to pardon and bless the sinner. You understand that? It becomes consistent with his character to pardon and bless the sinner. So that propitiation does not procure, gain his love, or make him loving. It doesn't do that. What it does, it only renders it consistent for him to exercise love towards sinners. I'll say it another way. If we ask how God can remain faithful to his own justice, when, when John the Baptist announced, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the how he did that. You see, God didn't just say, adultery, murder, theft, coveting, ah, don't worry about it. I don't, it doesn't matter. No, that's not God. If he did that, he would become effectively a party to the sin. Now God, in keeping with his character, God cannot simply pardon sin by saying, don't worry about it. And this is the work of propitiation. God remains faithful to his own justice. He cannot by any means leave sins unpunished. But because of his love for us, God chose to unleash his righteous, holy wrath for our sin, not upon us, but upon his own son as a substitute. So Jesus' death was vicarious. That is to say, in our place. When Jesus was there on the cross, he says, that is finished. You see all those sacrifices that happened in the Old Testament times? They, they bring a bull to the temple in the Day of Atonement, a goat, a lamb, sacrifice it. It never did anything. It was only a, a kind of a, a placeholder in history to point to a, a more perfect sacrifice. Not the Passover lamb that would rescue from slavery in Egypt but the Passover lamb who would rescue us from slavery to sin and its eternal consequence, which is the full fury of God's wrath. The lamb of God takes away the sin of the world by receiving in himself the full wrath of God. The apostle Paul describes this propitiation in Romans chapter three. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's us. So we just described you and me, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's where he gets to the good news, 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This, this God putting forth his son, was to show God's righteousness. See, God, God doesn't wink at sin. God doesn't say, don't worry. God remains righteous. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he's passed over former sins. In other words, he held off judging them until passed off former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, righteous, 
and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what God has done in Christ, he's shown himself to be absolutely righteous. God never, never says, don't worry about it to sin. What God does in remaining just is he pours out his righteous wrath on his son and that's what the cross is about. And because you have trusted him, you've trusted in Christ, he says you are justified. Listen, that's, a, that's an aspect of the character of God that can be on, only known where there is sin. And God loves us with a love so extreme, so vast, so mind-boggling that he satisfies his own wrath on his son. John describes it. This, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what Jesus accomplished when he said, it is finished. He forever satisfied, ever satisfied the wrath of God for sin. Now, I know how you feel sometimes, Christian. I know how this feels. You've prayed for forgiveness. You've trusted Jesus. You, you've said, I need him as my savior. And you're grateful. You're grateful. But then you stumble. And you think, will God reject me for this? Will he set me aside for this? Oh, you feel the conviction, you feel the shame, you feel the failure. And you think it's, it's maybe, maybe one too many. Just too much sin. I, I don't know that he can handle this. No. When you hear that, listen, it, if you come before God confessing, okay, this is a, there's a contriteness of heart, right, which says, God, I hate my sin. Like the psalmist prayed, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Do something in me I can't do for myself. But when you come to God in that humble attitude, say, I just hate it that I still sin. The evil one's gonna whisper in your ear saying, yeah, that's, uh, that's one too many. You know what you need to do? To that voice, whether it's the evil one or just yourself telling yourself lies, you need to say and remind yourself, Jesus said, it is finished. Your sin is covered. Past, present, and yes, future. It is finished. Listen, if you... Where you sit or where you are on the live stream this morning, as you think about Jesus, who he is and what he accomplished at the cross, I wonder where you stand with him. Maybe, maybe you're trying to be righteous before God. Maybe, maybe you're hoping to, to stack up a bunch of good works and offer them to him someday. 
The Bible says all of our righteousness is just as filthy rags. It won't account for anything. The only thing that will make you acceptable to God, the only thing that will make you just in his sight is by putting your full faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died in your place, who became your propitiation. So put your faith in him today. I plead with you, stop trying to be righteous on your own. Stop trying to earn your salvation. Rest in Christ alone. And believer in Jesus, don't listen to the devil's lies that maybe one too many sins is enough to knock you off of the family of God. Remind yourself, Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. Jesus' mission on earth, and so we have a mission of telling other people, it's finished. So church members, let's engage in this together. Let's pray for gospel opportunities. Let's pray that this message will, will radiate out from here. Jesus said, it is finished. All of the scriptures point to his suffering. They were fulfilled. And he said, it is finished at the cross. And so when you open your Bible, trust it. Not only trust it, but fill up with it and ruminate on it and delight in it and let it feed your soul. And thirdly, because Jesus said it is finished, your place in God's kingdom is absolutely eternally secure. There is no more wrath. It is not for you if you're in Christ. So rest in that truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the glorious thing that was accomplished as he hung there on that cross for us. Lord, your word is sure. So we thank you for that. The mission we have is clear. Please empower us for that. And the message that we have for people is that their sins can be forgiven in Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we would with every confidence be ready to tell that story to whomever should ask. Use us to that end for the glory of Jesus.